Welcome to ICANN, a podcast about ophthalmology through a uniquely Canadian lens with Dr. Cedare Ziai and myself, Dr. Guillermo Rocha. We'll share our experiences as ophthalmologists today and tackle some challenges we face as healthcare providers. Are you ready, Cedare? Let's do it, Guillermo. So, Guillermo, how have you been? Well, it's certainly been a crazy, crazy year for everyone. Um, many, many aspects have changed in our lives, obviously. I, I recall a few months ago, I was uh, traveling quite a bit, uh, be it for business or for pleasure. Um, but now we're sort of uh, just staying put at home and try to enjoy different things that I didn't know I had been missing. How about you? Um, yeah, the same. I think every aspect of life has changed. You know, we um, we have lots of children and we've been trying to, I mean, March, April, May was really hectic. What was everything happening with work and medicine and the patients that we're trying to care for? And then all the kids being home from school. Oh, my goodness. I never thought my life could be that hectic, <laughs> but it happened and we survived it. It settled down a little bit now, but, um, you know, we're, we're still growing accustomed to to this new reality. Did you take a break from work, Guillermo, at the beginning? Yeah, at the beginning it was challenging because um, I have a, a practice. So as you know, I practice in Brandon, Manitoba, but I also practice in uh, Minnedosa, a small city north of Brandon, and also have a, a refractive surgery practice in Winnipeg. So I sort of had to to uh, deal with the different lockdowns procedures in each of the different places. Um, we essentially were without surgery and in complete lockdown on uh, probably from March till uh, the end or the middle of June. And I had to use that time to reorganize the clinic from a financial point of view to allow it to survive. At that time, we didn't know of all the government benefits that we would receive. I had to keep my, my practice going. And um, the one thing I did was enter that period um, knowing that we would come out stronger. So everything, every decision I made from a practice point of view was to come out stronger. And at the same time, um, I reconnected a lot with our family um, and with my wife as well. We exercised a lot. I learned to bake bread and started helping her in uh, in some uh, cooking as well. So I discovered other things that I really enjoyed that I didn't do before. Do you have your own sourdough starter now, Guillermo? We, we actually have two, and I know how to feed it as well. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I, as we were coming into this podcast and the project that we've been developing, and first of all, I like the name, I can. But then I also, uh, thinking about you as, as, as our co-host, I really think about all the aspects you have in your life, the academic aspect, uh, coordinating fellowship programs, and people who come from far to train at the university with you. And also, as you mentioned, your home, your kids, but also your your incredible role in the Canadian women in medicine. So, uh, how do you do it? You, I know you can, but how do how could we do it? And I think this would be a great thing for the I Can podcast. Yeah, I think you know when we're put in these situations, we just we just get it done. I, we didn't really have much of a choice, you know. Our you're right. Our Canadian Women in Medicine conference, which is usually held in June, had to pivot very rapidly to a virtual format, and it ended up being the largest gathering of women physicians in history. It was great, but.
But at the same time, yeah, my clinics were shut down. So I'm, as you know, I practice at the University of Ottawa Eye Institute. I'm fully in an academic practice and I don't have an, out, an outside office. So I did not have to worry about um, that specific detailed financial aspect of it, the way you and a lot of other ophthalmologists who work in their own clinics did. But I did have to worry about making sure the residents were supported, making sure my secretary and our other um, you know, assistants were well supported. And, um, and then while trying to do this virtual care, which was so new to all of us and so strange as an ophthalmologist, isn't it? It's not like um, some other medical specialties where it might be more amenable to phone calls, but I was trying to do this virtual yeah. care. And at the same time, I was thrown into this teacher role for my children. And let yeah. me tell you, I was not a good teacher. <laughs> I'm a much better ophthalmologist than, than, I, than I am a teacher. Yeah. <laughs> so I think, you know, one day at a time and somehow um, it all fell into place. I mean, as much as it could, certainly was stressful. Um, I'm happy we got through it. And then once June came around, you're right. We opened up around the same time as you guys with our yeah. ORs in our clinics. And then the conference ended and the kids were on summer break and that we could finally take a breath, you know, and try to go back to some sense of, of normalcy. Exactly. Yeah. You know, two things that, that you mentioned, the opening up, I, I realized during that initial lockdown, how much I really love surgery. And um, every time, the few times that I managed to get into a uh, an OR for an emergency procedure, it, it was just an incredible feeling that I I sort of reconnected back to what I what I do and what we like to do as ophthalmologists with such a cool specialty. And then at the same time, as, as you were mentioning, the aspect of virtual care has become in my practice, even though it's a, it's a small practice, it has become a very, very integral part of it. Um, I am now at a point where a lot of the things are being done asynchronously so that patients are being worked up when I'm not there. And then I review the information. And the interesting thing is connecting visually with them. So a virtual call when you're actually not wearing a mask is actually enjoyable. And, and patients appreciate that when you're looking at them and, and you kind Kind of learn to look directly at the camera and they look at, at, at the same way and and we can have a good conversation and then eventually i will see them for a quick visit that's kind of sort of healthcare responsible uh, in terms of the pandemic, but we've already discussed all the important issues. And that has been a very, very important part and a very important development in my practice, which I had thought about, but I think is one of those things we kind of have to jump in and, and do it. That's wonderful. You know, we never, I never got on board with the video virtual care. For me, it was mostly audio. It was not at all the same thing. Um, but I, I do have to tell you, the patients were always so thrilled to get that phone call. It didn't matter if they had any issues or not. They were just, you know, it was, it was an air of um, support when they received the phone call from their physician. I'm sure it's the same from any of their physicians, but it was just such a lovely feeling to hear their voice on the other side of the line. And Dr. Zia, is that really you calling me? And um, <laughs> I really right. didn't like that. But the other thing I think I learned, and you mentioned how you missed the OR, and I completely agree. Uh, the other thing that was very heartwarming for me is sort of how our community of ophthalmologists come came together, you know, locally, mm -hmm. and sort of supported each other. And we were all kind of in this together. I think as Canadians, we felt like we were all in it together. But um, certainly within our own little bubbles at work, also, there was this sense of support and collegiality, because we were living through this together. And I think it really did end up 
Um, and it has ongoing, it's brought us closer together and it's just a, a really great, great feeling to have as part of the team. I agree. You know, one of the first things that happened um, when the when the lockdown started out here was was sort of the concern, not only from colleagues, but also in other areas, uh, for example, uh, other physicians. But very importantly, in my area where I rely a lot on the network of optometrists, there were certain fears and concerns. And so uh, I sort of started organizing a series of webinars once a week to sort things out, even from basic uh, PPEs in terms of um, other selections of, of elective versus emergency referrals. And that also has created a very nice uh, collaborative relationship in our area, in Western Manitoba, and also uh, through different parts of Manitoba. We've instituted uh, virtual care with some of their practices, and also even to the point where, where we are sort of comfortable texting each other in the care of a patient to avoid the patient going directly to an emergency uh, room where, where things may not be as safe for the patient, but also it would be overwhelming for the people who are taking care of other patients who are more acutely ill. So I agree. I mean, in this, we sort of banded together and we kept saying we're in this together, but but that was one thing and one shimmer of hope that, that I saw during this whole uh, period. Guillermo, it really sounds like you, have, you took this opportunity and this unfortunate situation and really made the best of it, which is speaks very much to the Dr. Rocha that I know well. It sounds like you actually somehow managed to thrive during this pandemic. Um, not all of us, uh, you know, instituted so many new and exciting programs, but, you know, kudos to you for being able to turn something, turn some lemons into lemon, uh, lemonade for your community and certainly for your patients, I'm sure. No, you you know, thank you. But I think it was also the example of many other people. All of a sudden, you didn't have to go to Europe to see what somebody in Europe was doing in their practice. All of a sudden, you had them right there in your laptop commenting on things. So I think it was it was a matter of taking ideas from other practices and just making sure that they could be implemented in um, in your practice. And so along those lines, you know, for the first time since the pandemic, uh, Cedare, I, I've had now a medical student rotating and I'm sort of figuring out the uh, the issues there. So how, how have you managed something even beyond that? You know, you have a responsibility to train fellows. Many of them come from far and they're like hoping for a great experience in Ottawa um, at the university. So how do you maximize, how have you, how have you found in these past few months and how are you planning to maximize the experience for, for the fellows and some of the residents? But, but I'm thinking more of those people who, you know, these are life plans when you commit to go to a different country and uh, all of a sudden you're stuck in a pandemic situation. Yeah, I mean, you know, the fact that it's a pandemic and it's universal also, um, by definition, means that everyone understands that it's an unusual situation. So we actually lost one of our fellows for a few months. She was called back to her home country in Kuwait, and she probably left. She was probably gone for about three months or so. But what we ended up doing is just extending it the other way. And, you know, the experience mm-hmm. of living is different than what it would have been without COVID. But it's valuable nonetheless in a very different way. And so um, the lack of exposure in those three months um, that she will gain on the other end. Um, There's a certain value that comes with the lessons learned of living through this that is um, irreplaceable. And I think everyone appreciates that. And, you know, what you were saying at the beginning about spending more time with your wife and, 
and making bread. And it's, you know, it's, it sounds very cliche for COVID to have sourdough starter, but these are, <laughs> these are important things that we've all had the opportunity. We've all had time to do something different, something more connected to our family. And same with our fellows, those who had to go back had this mm-hmm. time to spend with their families that they would never have otherwise had. It's an, it was an opportunity for most people to slow down a little bit and really uh, spend time um, with the people and the activities that we have taken for granted or that we had put aside for all these years. And so in yeah. a way, you know, it could have been a blessing in disguise for many, many people, including our fellows and our learners. Yeah. You know, one of the things that, that I found is that I think I was traveling a little bit too much uh, for a number of reasons. And so this this has allowed me to really focus uh, personally on different things, different projects, family-wise as well, but also on the practice as well. And I think some of the, the changes that you were mentioning that, that, that I've been able to implement were really because now you're there. And so you can see on a day-to-day basis what can be improved, what can be changed. And so moving forward, you know, it's it's I think it's important for many of us to consider what were the positives during during this whole period and uh, and not revert back to what we were doing before unless it was a good thing right but I mean there's a lot of things that I think we can improve upon and um, that that sort of would be one of the things that I I would look at yeah don't you think that a lot of us in no matter what field we practice in or what our jobs are I feel like so many people will just their lives will be different after this even when quote unquote, everything is back to normal. Um, Mm. It will be a different normal. And I think a better normal because it gave us all an opportunity to measure what we value. And, you know, like you said, you were traveling too much and now maybe you'll never go back to traveling that much and you'll be home more. And who knows, you know, spend that time doing things that you you realize are, are more valuable to you, for example. ICANN wants to know what you think. Please send your comments on today's episode or any suggestions you may have for topics or features to communications at cos-sco.ca and we'll try to incorporate them in future episodes. So Guillermo, was there any parts of the pandemic that were really difficult for you that you found, you know, weeks that were hard to get through? Tell me about that. Yeah, well, I think I think the the biggest challenge is, is the unknown, right? Like what is going to happen? How are things gonna gonna develop? I think in Manitoba for a while we we you know the way you ask the question is kind of in the past tense, and I will almost answer it in the present tense because of the case surge that we're seeing here in Manitoba right now. We're beginning to see the in-depth pandemic that other places were seeing back in February, in March, in April, and we really had been spared for a, for a time. I think that one of the tipping points for me was in September when I had taken a couple of days off that I had already planned as holidays, but I said, yeah, I might as well keep them as holidays. I'm not going anywhere, but I got a call. And they told me from public health that there had been a possible exposure in my office with a COVID-19 positive patient. The interesting thing was that the, the, this was September 11, and the patient had been in my office on September 3rd. So really, they're calling me 
a few days later, quite a few days later. Um, they reviewed all our, our protocols, our, our security and safety issues, and they said, no, you don't need to do anything differently. But that was kind of like the first time that I really sort of said, okay, I mean, I know this is real for sure. I mean, I've been preparing for this. We cannot lower the guard. We we have to keep with all the screening, all the, the PPEs, everything. And so I, I kind of reinforced that every week to my staff. But it also was kind of the beginning of the increasing cases here in Manitoba. And at this point, Winnipeg is in uh, uh, sort of stage red and uh, as well as southern Manitoba. And here we're in overall in the province in a, in a kind of uh, orange level. Um, we're already hearing about patients being transferred to Brandon for ICU care. And uh, some of the areas in the hospital are being transformed into ICU beds as well. So I think I would say we were kind of quite spared, but that allowed us to prepare for this time. And so we have all our systems in place. And I think now is where we really have to rise to the occasion and be able to protect. My philosophy has always been to protect our staff, our patients, and also the responsibility of protecting our community with the measures that we implement in our office. So we'll see, we'll see what happens in the next few weeks. And how about you? Have you had any any close calls or any uh, serious or, or stressful situations in that regard, Cedric? Yeah, I mean, I guess because I'm in the hospital, we occasionally do hear about a patient that was in our clinic that ended up being COVID positive a few days later. So we have had residents and staff be exposed and have to go on quarantine. Um, that has been sort of, I would say, pretty regular since we've been back. I think the hardest part um, work-wise for me has just been, um, you know, managing working in a hospital that has, um, you know, a lot of, you know, infrastructure requirements and many, many rules regarding how many patients can come in and out and how many, how far apart our clerks need to sit. And, yeah. you know, like we don't make our own, it's hard because we don't make our own decisions, even though yes. I think we would make very safe choices the hospital has their own decision makers and so um and they're always changing the 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 requirements are always changing so just adapting to what our teams believe are safest has been probably the most difficult but you know i think if you just take it with um as easygoing um um opinion as possible and do your best to follow the rules even if they don't always consistently make sense then you know then i think you you get the best out of a a little bit of a confusing situation but um luckily you know no one i know has been covid positive yet but we're all being very cautious and we do have patients regularly in our clinic who come back who we find out later um, tested positive or were suspects. But, you know, with all the, now that we have easier access to PPE than what we did at the beginning, um, exactly. we're, we're, we're feeling much safer. That's right. And, you know, I think we, we're, we're fortunate. I mean, the, the, the simple fact that we, we're sort of representing here the Canadian Ophthalmological Society and um, even the, uh, the Physician Resource Centre with all the stuff that, that we had in terms of COVID and the webinars and all the resources, the um, uh, different uh, position statements and guidelines that the different subspecialty societies came up with, it really gives us a, a, 
more knowledge. And with that knowledge comes a, a more, more confidence and more strength to manage these situations. Um, I do have still family in Mexico and uh, many of our family members have tested positive and friends as well. There was a friend who ended up uh, hospitalized as well. And so the, um, the, the, the fact that we're in Canada sort of gives us some reassurance that, uh, that we're here, we're, we're fortunate, and we can keep going um, in our different facets of our lives. Yeah, and now this podcast will be one other way to disseminate information to our colleagues and our friends from across the country. I'm really looking forward to this, Guillermo. I really like it. And, um, you know, the, the potential for as we get to work, I mean, when we started with the webinars, it's we were all sort of kind of stuck at home, and that's what we did. Now that we're in the car, nothing better to do than to listen to podcasts like this one, like the I Can podcast. <laughs> Agreed. Here's what's coming up on our next episode. My name is Dr. Robert Kunikope. I'm a pediatric ophthalmologist and I work at the Montreal Children's Hospital of McGill University in Montreal. The, the beautiful story is that these pioneers were receiving phone calls the week after from patients and said, I could, I'm starting to see. Can you come and see me now instead of in three weeks? So the whole protocol had to be changed. And so it's variable, of course, like everything else. But after a week or two, these patients started telling the scientists, telling the clinician scientists that they were starting to see in different ways. ICANN wants to know what you think. Please send your comments on today's episode or any suggestions you may have for topics or features to communications at cos-sco.ca and we'll try to incorporate them into future episodes. The ICANN podcast is funded by MDF Affinity Grant. It is brought to you by the Canadian Ophthalmological Society, directed by Eric Johnson and produced by John Allaire from Allaire Strategic Works.